morning, everybody. It's just a real privilege to be here, actually. And I've just, uh, I've actually had the privilege of looking into this next passage of scripture that we're looking at in the book of John. And it's just been wonderful to spend so much time kind of digging into the scripture and then coming up with something to say about it as well. So I just really hope that I can express something of the kind of magnitude of the book of John, because it's really hard. It's such an amazing book. It's written in such an incredible way. And so it feels like a bit of an impossible task. So I think I'll stop by praying. (laughs) Father God, we love your word. Thank you for giving us your word so that we can get to know you better, that we can see you more clearly and love you more dearly in our lives, Father God. So I just pray that you would just be with us this morning, that you would open our hearts to hear what you need us to hear, Father God, and that you would inspire us to run after you with more than we've run after you before, Father God. Amen. Okay, so we've been looking at the book of John, and as we've seen in the past, um, it's kind of written on two levels, this book. Um, It's first the kind of historic record of what happened, so we read the historic story of things, but also on a second level, it's kind of written for us, the readers, it's like we're kind of looking in, and then John has got some comments for us just to kind of hear about it. And so we, we kind of look at these two different levels. So we're, we're, today I'm really hoping that I can kind of show you that this is the fact, but this is actually, as the reader, this is what we're supposed to see in the text as well. So kind of bring some of that depth out of it. But at the same time also, the subject today is discipleship. So discipleship is following Jesus. Um, some of you here today are deciding whether to follow Jesus. Some of us have been following Jesus for quite a long time. Um, But what we're going to see then is the disciples or their followers, they're going to be looking to see who Jesus is. They have a personal encounter with Jesus, and then they're declaring who he is. So when we read the passage, I want you to look out for that, that moment where they're looking, they're deciding, and then they declare who he is. So a particular thing about this passage is there's loads of names of Jesus used in it. It's actually introduced as many titles for him, which are then expanded in the rest of the book. But I want you to just notice as we're reading the passage just how many titles. And that's for the benefit also of us readers. We're looking in, thinking, what is discipleship? We get all these titles of Jesus. And from that, we're supposed to decide, like, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? And then the final thing I'm going to say before we get into the passage is that it's really about decisions as well. There's many, many decisions to be made. The disciples come to Jesus to decide who he is. And then we're going to look in this passage and decide, well, who is he to us? And what impact is that going to have on our lives? And so I've decided to call this talk Decisions That Define Us. The decisions we make when we encounter Jesus will actually define what our lives look like. Really important. So let's get into the passage then. So we're looking at John 1, um, 35 to 51. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he said, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. And he, 
and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the time of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So I'm going to be looking at the four disciples in turn, first at Andrew and Peter, and then at Philip and Nathaniel. So let's first look at Andrew then. So we see that Andrew and the other disciple, which we can assume is the author John. Someone else has done the research on that, not me. <laughs> and he's turning from following John the Baptist to following Jesus. But Jesus turns around to them and he says, what do you want? Or some versions say, what are you seeking? And I think that's quite an interesting question, what do you want? It's not who are you following or whatever, what do you want? And in the Bible, sometimes we get these questions being asked, um, sometimes by God, like, for example, in Genesis, where when Adam has, when they've eaten from the apple, God says to them, um, where are you? It's a question that God obviously knows the answer to that, but he wants us to think about what the answer to it is. And so what do you want is a question. And I feel like that question is just about our motives. What are our motives for following Jesus? Do we want an easy life? Do we want a free handout? Or do we actually want to know the truth? Who is Jesus? I think um, most of us, and humanity included, we think kind of we're looking for a thing in life. We think that we're looking for some fulfillment. It may be in the great job, a new experience, uh, some achievement that'll kind of top it all for us. Uh, and I remember before I became a Christian in my early 20s, just that feeling of um, knowing that I needed something in my life. I, was, I had this desperate kind of void inside me that I just needed to find something. There was, I needed life to be about something more than just getting a job, just paying a mortgage. There's got to be more to life than that. And I remember that kind of desperate, empty feeling of what is it all about? So looking back with that horrible void inside me, I did make some absolutely terrible decisions about my life um, when I was struggling to find meaning and purpose in it. Um, 
But what did, I, what did I want? I just went on a journey of really searching to find what was going to fill that void in life. And so we find Andrew and the other disciple, they want to find out more about Jesus, so they follow him. And he invites them to spend the day with him. Um, and I just feel like that's what God does for us. Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants us to experience Jesus for ourselves. It's not just going to be about head knowledge about Jesus. We're actually invited to come in and experience him. And we're invited to take as long as we want to to investigate this. Andrew spent the rest of the day and we assume the rest of the night just asking Jesus questions, sitting at his feet. And then the next day, Jesus has decided. He's made his decision that will define the rest of his life. He tells his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah. How amazing. <laughs> so Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. Sorry, to Peter now. So Jesus shows that he has miraculous knowledge, both about Simon and later about Nathaniel. He says, um, you're Simon, son of John. And then he also speaks his future identity over Peter as well. He, he says, um, you're Simon. I'm going to call you Cephas, which is means Peter or rock. So Jesus is speaking of future identity. He can not only see who Peter is today, but he can also see the man that he will become. So I'm going to spend a bit of time firstly looking at the knowledge of God. How does God know all this stuff? The nature of God, really. And then after that, we're going to be looking about the future identity that God speaks over us. Uh, A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, has a great chapter on the omniscience of God. That's his all-knowing nature. This is quite wordy, but it's really worth thinking about. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and every spirit, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell. God knows all things perfectly. So it means that there's nothing that he hasn't discovered. There's no one that can inform on us or make accusations against us because he knows it all. He's not going to, someone's going to pull a skeleton out of the cupboard and say to God, oh, you know, what about this? Nothing is going to turn God away from us. He knows everything about us. There's no weakness in our character that he doesn't know about. There's no sin that he doesn't know about. He knows us completely. And from that complete knowledge of us, he chooses us. Isn't that an amazing thought? That we're perfectly known by him, but we're chosen by him. So I just want to say, if God knows us so perfectly, then are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust him for the next bit of our journey? That's challenging me. <laughs> Is he challenging you on something today that you need to trust him a bit more? 
I think it's good to take time out just to think about the all-knowingness of God. He knows all about you. He knows all about everything. He knows your future. So in Jewish culture, um, naming was a really significant event. Names unveil something of the character of the person. So Jesus, by renaming Simon Peter, he's actually giving him a name that will be something of the nature or character of what he sees Simon growing into. He will acquire the nature of a rock. It just seems, though, as we read through the Gospels, actually this is not what we see when we see Peter. He seems to be impulsive and outspoken. So you kind of think, where is this going to come from? Um, And yet Jesus sees, he knows this is the man he's going to become. And so we see, as we read the Gospels, um, Peter going through a journey of struggling with his human frailty, even to the point where at the end he denies Jesus. And yet when we look into Acts, we see him become that rock, that pillar of the church. And then we read the books that he wrote in the Bible and read all the contributions he made in the Gospels. He becomes that rock. And I think as we follow Jesus, we make that decision that's going to define our lives, that he starts to draw out our true identity inside of us. It might be hidden really deep down in us, but I think God draws it out and we become the person he intended us to be too. Um, David Crone, in his book, which is called The Power of a Life Message, says it like this. I think this is great. I let my old reputation, all my failures, all my past, lay at the foot of the cross. I will not allow them to predict or determine my potential, my future, or my destiny. Instead, I take hold of my destiny and potential and future that Christ has established for me. I think over the last few years, I've been on a real personal journey of God drawing that out in me. Uh, I just, I remember deciding that I was going to say yes to Jesus. I remember it about 10 years ago when my kids started to get to secondary school age. I've got four children. And it was time where I could have done something else. I could have gone back to work. I could have just made my house really clean and tidy. That was never going to happen. <laughs> um, I just started feeling about what is it that my life is going to be all about? And I know that years ago, when I first became a Christian, I felt God put this real kind of calling on my life that I just wanted to just give everything to God. And I explored that a bit. I went on a year of leadership training, Christian leadership training. And it was, it was just a really hard experience. And at the end of that year, I decided this is definitely not for me. I'm not going to go there again. Um, but when I went back to thinking what my life would look like, I just felt really challenged again. Was that really God speaking to me or not? I just needed to explore that a bit. Because if I didn't explore it, then I would never know. And I don't want to get to the end of my life thinking, well, what what if there'd been something in that? I can't live with that. And so I've been on a really big journey of self-discovery. And I think for me, that has meant confronting some of my biggest fears. So if you've been around Oasis for a bit, you'll know that public speaking is my biggest fear. (laughs) Well, maybe it's not anymore. <laughs> Perhaps I can think of a bigger one than that. But it's been a journey of kind of confronting things and deciding I'm not going to let this define my life anymore. Um, and I would say that actually Jesus is bigger than that. Um, I don't think he's limited by what I think my personality is like. 
If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I'd have said I'm really quiet, really shy. I like being in the background. Don't let me speak in front of even two people. I've got nothing to say. Um, but God kind of overlooks what I think my personality is. Um, seems to be regardless of my fears. I have to confront my fears head on because perfect love will cast out those fears. And even what I think is impossible, God actually says is possible. So it just seems that we just need to trust him and just see what life will turn out like. So I've made that decision that I'm going to continue to walk with him and let him define my life. I'm going to say yes to all the opportunities he puts in front of me, even the really scary ones, <laughs> even the ones that don't think I fit, they don't think they fit my personality. I'm going to say yes to those. I just feel like he's kind of drawing out of me what is me. And I think he does that for you. When I was thinking about it, I thought, well, it's kind of like a gift. You get your true identity is kind of wrapped up as this gift that you're given. But sometimes, you know, it's really hard to get in at the gift. There's so much sellotape on it. You've got to get the layers of sellotape and the rubbish off the gift to get the treasure that's inside. Do you feel like that's kind of, I just feel like it's quite an example of what I think getting to your true identity is like. We have to decide that we are who he says we are and trust him for that journey. Uh, Paul puts it like this in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's always a choice. God values free will. It's always a choice. But are we going to press in for those things that are going to define our lives? Are we going to decide to trust him today? Hmm. So next we're moving on to Philip and Nathaniel. So Philip, I just think this is a wonderful story. It says that Jesus went to find Philip. Oh, that's just great. When we, we don't have to do all the looking, Jesus comes and finds us. And that's true today. Whether we realize he's looking for us or not, he comes to find us. And I just thought, well, I'll tell you a bit of my story, because my, my story of how I became a Christian is really a story of Jesus finding me. So I said before about my bad choices and decisions. Well, <laughs> in my 20s then, I ended up and I was sleeping rough in Wales. Nice place to sleep rough. <laughs> but I'd kind of made some bad choices. I'd ended up homeless. I was alone. And I was out sleeping in the fields. Couldn't get much worse than that for me anyway. Well, I was probably kid, but I felt like I was really hit rock bottom here. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I felt like my life was completely aimless and worthless. Yeah, it's quite emotional to think about it, that actually I just had no purpose in life whatsoever. And I thought I was aimlessly wandering around Wales. But on the third night out, um, I arrived at a place called Bilf Wells, and... When I was looking for somewhere to sleep that would be safe that night, I walked over a bridge and I saw this big sign over the Welsh showground and it said Wales Bible Week. 
And I thought, oh, that's a nice place to sleep. <laughs> so I sneaked in and I slept in the marquee, slept under the chairs at the back. I had quite a good night's sleep. That was pretty good. So I thought, well, Christians are okay. They're not going to murder me. I'll come back the next night. Um, so I felt like the next night, maybe I wasn't so lucky because the Bible week had started and the security guards were working. And when I went to sneak in, they caught me. Um, and they asked me what I was doing. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm looking for my Welsh friend. Um, and I said, oh, yeah, she comes from Swansea, only place I knew in Wales. <laughs> uh, and so they took me to Swansea Church to wait for my friend to arrive. Quite awkward. <laughs> uh, and eventually I said, oh, you know, I think I better go now. Uh, she's not going to come. And they said, well, why don't we just give you a tent and give you food for the week? And you just do what God tells you to do. So I thought, well, I'm going to be a bit of a winner there. <laughs> um, and really, that's the story of God putting me in the right place at the right time. Because when I went to hear about God, and I heard I could make a new start and find that purpose and meaning in life that I wanted to give myself 100% to, and I could have a fresh start and put Jesus in charge now, stop making those stupid decisions, <laughs> that it just changed my life. And so that's the point where I became a Christian. So, well, I think Tom Wright puts it wonderfully. He says, when you go looking for Jesus and discover he's looking for you, you'll remember that day forever. As I obviously do. <laughs> yeah, beautiful that he comes looking for us. We don't have to do all the looking. He's actually out for us as well. Yeah, so I'm going to turn out to Nathaniel. So Nathaniel hears about Jesus coming from Nazareth, and he says, how can anything come from there? That's good. <laughs> he has like a misconception about Jesus, full of prejudice. How can somebody great come from such a small community? Do we come to Jesus with some misconceptions? Do we need to be challenged about some of our prejudices about Christianity? I just think the best way of handling all those prejudices is just come and see. If you're there looking in, just keep coming, keep looking in, keep talking to people. Jesus again shows miraculous knowledge of Nathaniel's whereabouts. I saw you under a fig tree, he says. We don't know anything else about that, except that it has a massive impact on Nathaniel. And he changes from being that skeptical person to saying, Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. Nathaniel then is promised by Jesus that he'll have something more substantial to base his faith on. You'll see greater things than that, says Jesus. And I think that's really key for us as Christians. Like, we have our conversion experience where we meet Jesus. And yet, as we travel through life, we see those things that give us more substance to our faith. Our faith has to be backed up with knowledge and experience of Jesus. So I think it's persuasion of our hearts and our minds, as well as encountering Jesus. And I'm just going to say something about the last verse Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so we can read this, as I said at first, on the surface level. This could be just Jesus saying to Nathaniel, yeah, you'll see greater things than this. But we as the readers looking in, who know about Jesus' death and resurrection, 
can see that this is a referral to what is to come. He's obviously talking about the story of Jacob in Genesis 28, where Jacob sleeps and he sees a ladder going from the earth up to heaven and angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And what Jesus is saying, because he says it will ascend and descend on the Son of Man, he is saying, I will become that ladder. Jesus himself is going to be, as he's raised on the cross, the bridge that makes that connection between heaven and earth. And so that's the first time that we see Jesus predict his death and resurrection in John. And I just feel that's a great place to end. He's anticipating what's going to come. And so I just feel like, you know, we've, seen, we've heard the disciples meet and follow Jesus. They make their choices, they make their decisions that then define the rest of their life. And as we see this gospel play out, we'll see those decisions work out. Um, just want to spend a bit of time thinking about what that means for us. What does it mean for us to come to Jesus? God gives us free choice, free will. He highly values that. We choose how much we're going to follow him. Are we going to follow him wholeheartedly or not? We can leave our gifts unwrapped if we want to. They can stay wrapped up. But then we'll never know what the journey is going to look like for us. We'll never know what our potential could have been. If we choose not to follow Jesus, there's a cost to that too. The cost will come in lack of satisfaction, lack of joy, lack of fulfillment. Getting to the end and wondering what it could have looked like if we followed Jesus. What would it be if we'd said yes? So we just need to consider that. And not only implications for this lifetime, but eternally. We've got to see things from an eternal perspective as well. What are you going to choose? The decisions that we make in this lifetime will define what our lives look like. So I thought it'd be really good if we could just take a bit more time. We're going to get the worship band back. Or just Sarah, don't be rich. <laughs> Someone's going to come back and play. And we're going to listen to a worship song and respond. I've put some questions on the board that you can think about. You can have your music stand. <laughs> and these... These questions, things that I've been touching on today, just take some time thinking about them and responding to them. Is there something that Jesus has been challenging you on today? Who is he? Who is he to you? He knows all about you. He knows everything. Are you going to trust him? What is God asking of you today? Is he challenging you on something today? And how are you going to be defined by the decisions that God is calling you to. So as the worship band plays, if you want to just listen, if you want to respond, you can stand up and respond. You can join in with the song. Let's just take some time out before we move on with the rest of the day just to process what it is to be a disciple, to be called to a life of following God. <laughs>